0: So welcome everyone again to the second meeting here today and uh, so last week we had uh, a discussion or a study on spiritual gifts and uh, we sent out uh, an assessment questionnaire as well. I hope all of you have done that and uh, you're ready with uh, uh, your assessment. But uh, today we will be looking at uh, the Q&A, the questions that came in on the Google Forms, the link that was sent out on the groups. Uh, but after we answer those questions if we have time still uh, we can take live questions as well here But uh, we will answer the questions one by one I think I will I will give my initial comments and if the other elders want to chime in and give their comments as well uh, uh, They will be doing it too. So I have pulled up the questions here on my screen um, Okay So here's the thing about the questions Um uh, there were three options given or three, uh, three spaces given for questions. So if you put your question in the third space, uh, the order might be in random here. So I'm picking up questions as, uh, as I have on the screen there. OK, um, so the first one I have here is, why do you say that some gifts stopped after first century? Does the Bible explicitly state this or is it an interpretation? Also, that statement seems like we are putting God in a box and stating that uh, he cannot do miracles or he isn't capable of instant healing. If he is, then we cannot put the statement that these gifts stopped in the first century. Okay, Uh, I think uh, there are several things that can be said about this. uh, But let me first address the first part of it. Does the Bible state this explicitly or is it an interpretation? Um, one of the things that we need to understand in studying the Bible is that the Bible does not state everything explicitly. Okay, uh, I'll tell you a couple of things. This is what Muslims ask all the time. Where is it written in the Bible that Jesus said, I am God, those three words, explicitly. I am God, those three words. If Jesus didn't say that, he is not God is what they say. But we can sit here for the next three to four hours and talk about the fact that Jesus is God from the Bible. Now are the words explicit I am God from the lips of Jesus? No, Jesus never said that and there was a reason for that in the milieu in which he lived. He didn't say that but he made a whole lot of other statements and he did a whole lot of other works that showed that he is God in the flesh, right? So the Bible does not make explicit statements about every single thing. But we have the word of God in its entirety and the Lord has given us minds to analyze the scriptures and to study scriptures from cover to cover and to bring out principles that are in keeping with the scripture and theology that is true to the scripture. And in that sense, we bring out a lot of principles and theology from scripture itself uh, that governs the way we live and that governs our churches as well. And so... uh, to answer the question does the bible say explicitly that uh for example tongues will be gone or tongues will be seized well there is one passage there in 1 corinthians 13 that says tongues will be stilled uh but uh, it doesn't say when it will be stilled but we do have an argument from the scriptures again uh the theology of it to say that uh it would have been perhaps stilled in the first century AD but to talk about uh but to talk about the sign gifts and our claim from the Bible that uh, it did stop right in the first century. Uh, I want to club all of these and put them as miracles or miraculous gifts. Okay, Uh, And I want to define what a miracle is. Uh, A miracle is any supernatural event which has no human explanation. Or a miracle is a supernatural event which suspends natural laws. For example, the law of gravity and things like that. And we need to understand this about miracles. Uh, Most biblical miracles happened in uh, relatively small, brief periods, which are three in biblical history. You're talking about the time of Moses and uh, Joshua. And then you're talking about the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. And then the third period is the time of Christ and the apostles. So these are the large periods that you have uh, of miracles in in the biblical history. And each of them did not last for more than 100 years. Okay, But in each of these periods, there was a proliferation or an inundation of miracles unheard of at other times in God's uh, redemptive history. But even during those times, I want to say this, that miracles were not just normal. They were not everyday occurrences that happened to everybody. They were still that, miracles. So when you look at the entire theology of the Bible, three things uh, stand out for us. number one is miracles introduced new eras of revelation. Miracles introduced new eras of revelation. For example, you have the Mosaic covenant coming and that 's a new revelation during Moses and Joshua, the time of Moses and Joshua. and then you have the beginning of prophetic ministry in Elijah and elisha 's time. and then you have the Lord Jesus Christ himself who is coming coming here and establishing the church. With, with his apostles as well. So you have these three periods of new eras of ever Revelation where you had uh, miracles happening. Number two, miracles authenticated the messengers of Revelation. Moses was authenticated by miracles, so were Elisha and Elijah and uh, also Christ and the Apostles and we see that several times uh, in, in uh, the Gospels and also in the book of Acts. Thirdly, miracles are designed to call attention to the revelation that is being given. So these three things we need to remember. And when you see the book of Acts and the epistles, uh, you see that the vast majority of the miracles were performed by the apostles and their close associates. And Paul gives the reason for that in, in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, the things that mark an apostle, he says, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance, he says. OK, so uh, now, uh, when you say that uh, the apostles performed miracles, and uh, and uh, you also read in Ephesians two twenty that they were the building blocks of the church or the foundation of the church, uh, you see that the apostolic age has passed, and therefore, with them, the miracles, signs, and wonders as well. Um, What was the other part of the question? Um, Are we putting God in a box? Oh yeah, right. Uh, No, we're not putting God in a box here because we need to differentiate between two things. One is we need to differentiate about the gifts that we are talking about, like the gift of speaking different kinds of tongues, gift of interpretation of tongues, gift of performing miracles, uh, then um, gifts of healing and all these things. These are sign gifts. These are miraculous gifts. We need to differentiate between these gifts and God being able to do something. We are nowhere saying that God is unable to do such things. And I I was very specific last time when I took the study that God in his purposes in his sovereignty is able to perform miracles and healings even instantly at various times, but according to his uh, his wisdom and according to his purposes and and, and sovereignty. But that needs to be differentiated uh, from the gift of something. The gift of healing or the gift of performing miracles or the gift of tongues. What we are saying here is the gift has stopped being uh, operative in the church today. In fact, it has stopped right in the first century because it was given for a reason, which is to authenticate the messengers who are bringing in the gospel of Jesus Christ to many lands around the world, around the Roman Empire. So there is a difference between the gift stopping in the first century and not being there now as... normative experience of the church that's one thing the other thing is God being able to do something in his ability so we're not putting God in a box all we are saying is that the gift has stopped while God can continue to perform miracles uh, in his own ways in different parts of the world uh, in his own sovereignty I hope that briefly answers that question Uh, others if you want to chime in please
1: yeah, hey, Revanta, uh, I think you answered it very well, uh, just to, uh, just to uh, expand a little bit on the point, the difference between God doing something and the gifts, right? So the gifts, when we say, when we talk about gifts here in the context of the passages that we studied last week, we're talking very explicitly about abilities given by God to people in the church, okay? So uh, again, just because God can do something, I mean the I think the question, maybe the way the, the question was worded uh, you know, made it seem like just because the gift is if we, just because we believe that the gift has stopped or stopped being operative or whatever whatever words you want to use, phrase you want to use, um, doesn't doesn't at all mean that we're putting God in a box. It doesn't mean that God cannot do something, okay? Just because I cannot do it, it doesn't mean God cannot do it, and just because God can do it doesn't mean that I have a gift. I mean, God can, um, you know, God can destroy the earth. That doesn't mean that I have a gift to destroy the earth by my word. Okay, God can create with the word, word of His mouth. Right? It doesn't mean that I can do that. So to equate whether God can do something or not do with gifts given to the church, and, and I think we need to also go back to the purpose of the gifts. Right? The purpose of the gifts. It's very clear. You you brought that out last week, um, Ravinder. It's given for the building up of the church, the edification of the body, right? Building up of other believers. Okay, and, and certainly there were these miraculous gifts that were that you listed, which were given in the early church, and they had a purpose. All right. And the purpose was, as you said, to validate the message. It was given, uh, you know, keep in mind, it was a very different time. OK, you're, you're starting something new. Um, and, uh, you know, just as you know, when Moses, why was Moses given? Uh, you can call that a gift. I guess he was given a gift of miracles, um, you know, Moses and Aaron. And why were they given it? Because he asked God and he said, well, how will you know, God said you go to, I'm sending you to the children of Israel to uh, To bring them out of Egypt, right? Bring them out of slavery. And and Moses' question is, well, how are they going to know, right? How are they going to know that you have sent me? And immediately God tells him to, you know, throw his uh, his uh, staff on the ground and and put his hand in his pocket and all those all those things that we're all familiar with, right? So there was a there was a specific purpose uh, for that, which you which you uh, articulated quite well, right? Uh, similarly, you know, the the establishment of the church in the early early age early days okay in the first century was a very different scenario than what we have today right at that time the church was new we didn't have the entire word of god yet revealed okay it was a period of 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 intense revelation uh, you know of the of the word of god right all they had was the jewish scriptures um, and uh, and so it was a different time and clearly god used those miracles to validate the message and and then um, you know when you look at you know do you really need those miracles today do you need people like do i need to be able to do a miracle to validate the the message i don't need to i mean uh, you know the greatest miracle there is 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 a is a saved soul okay a soul that has been redeemed uh, from their sins by by trusting in the lord jesus christ you've got you've got the church you've got the people you've got changed lives. You've got uh, the word of God, all of these things that are, are more than sufficient to validate the message. And then when we look at history, uh, it's important to realize that, you know, uh, there there was this period of miracles, as you said, Raven, in the first century. And then when we look at, at history or churches, history, any history for that matter, we don't see these kind of things until, okay, uh, we don't see tongues, we don't see any of these things until uh, you know the 20th century, okay, and it was sort of revived by the, you know, by the um, the Azusa Street. That's that's where this whole thing started, and all the the charismatic movement uh, and things like that. And then it became sort of a new thing. And in fact, even many of them, uh, you know, equate that to, and they they try to justify it with some doctrines like the latter rain and the second blessing and all these kind of things. Which we don't want to get into all that. Uh, but uh, but really, it's something that that even history shows that it sort of diminished, okay? It sort of diminished, and then some people have started to bring it back up, you uh, know, into the So, So just to be clear, we are not in any way saying God cannot do it. God does it today. He may do it in different circumstances. We're just saying, this is not the norm. And he certainly, we do not believe that, that any one person has been given that gift to, you know, to raise people from the dead or to command people. Certainly we can pray, we can pray for healing, right? Uh, we are called to do that. And God may, uh, in his will, do that. Now to say, then say that that's because I have the gift of healing uh, is two different things, right? God, uh, you know, God uh, healing somebody miraculously versus, you know, saying that that's because I have a gift uh, are two entirely different things. So I think it's, it's important for us to make uh, make that distinction when we look at it, right? You know, anybody else? Charlie, Pradeep? Uh, any of the other elders
2: want to add, Jonathan? Um, just just one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, to your point that uh, we find this diminishing uh, over a period. Uh, I was just uh, suddenly thinking we know that uh, when uh, when Peter was in jail, he was redeemed from the jail. The angel was sent to him. Later, we find Paul and Silas; they came out of yep. the jail. But that very same Paul, we know, was later in jail, and history tells us that he was executed in jail at that time. Uh, you know, these uh, these miracles. Or possibly were 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 on their way down so just another example i just wanted to add
0: yeah that's right that's right charlie absolutely because even paul towards the end of his epistles he looks at uh, timothy and says drink a little wine for your stomach because you have stomach trouble you know he probably had grd uh, <laughs> I, I don't know but uh, but paul says you know drink a little wine he didn't he didn't perform a miracle there you know um, so uh yeah, there are several things like that, that you see that towards the end of the New Testament, you see those miracles dwindling and you see them all. Yeah, uh, and,
1: and Raven, I, I'll, just, I'll just emphasize a point. I sort of made it, but maybe I need to emphasize it some more, okay? The, we, we need to go back and this will maybe come up in the answers to other questions and say, ask ourselves, okay, the gifts as a whole, okay, as, as, I, as I said, as you said, were given for the edification of the church, okay? right, the body, uh, to grow the body, right? Uh, You know, uh, do we really need these gifts? I mean, are they, how critical are they to, and in fact, go back to, read 1 Corinthians 14, okay? And Paul is very clear there, and there he's talking primarily about tongues, not so much about healings and all these other things. And he's he's very clear that whatever it is they were doing, okay, there's a lot of controversy over what the tongues that they were they were practicing in Corinth was was it was it the languages or was it something gibberish, uh, you know, as I like to call it, uh, uh, you know, that uh, that people uh, use these days, uh, you know, private prayer language, whatever. There's all kinds of terminology around it. Whatever it was, Paul was sort of telling them, guys, cut it out, okay? He was saying, this is not what is going to edify the church, okay? This is given, some of the stuff is given actually as a sign to unbelievers. Why do, he says, you know, you are believers, you don't need a sign, okay? You are already saved. You need to focus on what? He says, prophecy and and teaching, right? Which, Which edifies, which builds you up, right? The purpose of these gifts is to build up the individuals in the church, all of us, Right. And, and what does that happen? Does that happen by by esoteric actions like speaking in tongues or, or gibberish or whatever it is, you know, praying in some private language that nobody understands? Uh, is that building? Is you doing that building me up? Uh, not really, because I don't have a clue what you're saying. Right. Um, so so we just need to put this in the context of what is the purpose of gifts? It's not gifts are not there for me to feel good or anybody to feel good gifts are not there to elevate me over anybody else. And what has happened with some of these miraculous gifts, it's become like a test of your holiness. Okay. Uh, Why don't you have the gift or why don't you speak in some weird language? Right. Uh, It's because you may not be holy or you don't have the Holy Spirit. Okay. Which again goes against scripture because we have the Holy Spirit when, you know, from the moment we are saved, that's very clear. So, so we got to ask ourselves, put this into the context of, church and church church growth and the purpose of gifts as a whole and then evaluate you know does it make sense you know that does does it make is it logical to say that some of these gifts are no longer relevant or operative or whatever the word that you want to use right so um, just want to emphasize that
0: and and this is not to say again this is not to say that the lord does not or cannot perform Mm -hmm. miracles like like you guys termed it it's not to put god in a box he does perform things uh, Uh, even to even to the astonishment of the person who's preaching the gospel there in a new land perhaps Uh, you know when the gospel is taken to new lands there might be miracles that god may perform in his sovereignty Uh, uh, but what we are saying here again is that the gift the sign gifts the gift of speaking different kinds of tongues and with it the gift of interpretation of tongues the gift of miracles uh, the gift of healing such gifts the sign gifts the miraculous ones stopped because they fulfilled their purpose in the first century itself um, any any follow-up questions on this or anything from the other elders, please?
3: Yeah, just just want to add in something, you know, like when, when Paul writes, if you look in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, it says that if you could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a climbing symbol. And, uh, you know, just to look at what Paul is saying is that you know, your love should be not, I think both you and George and happening that, I believe, mean, a love should not be for the gift that he's given to us, or what the gift is. God, the Spirit of the Lord, is equipped with us, what it could do to us, but it's actually the love for the church, you know. If we can have these gifts, and they thing is, sometimes, you know, you hear, and you know what, I'm praying for this gift, I'm praying for this gift, right. Um, there's, there's teaching also, that where comes up, but if we do not love the church, uh, then it's just noise. It's just noise. And if you look at um, 1 Corinthians fourteen, also for you know, for all of the ones who are listening, he says, "Let love be your highest goal. It's not the pursuit of these gifts, you know." Um, so just want to encourage is that you know, you know, just following up on a question for all of us is, do we love the church with whatever gift you've given to us, um, or are we pursuing the love of another gift because? You know, it seems to be a... Um, how do you say It seems to be a very huh? whatever.
0: Yeah, thank you, Bench. you want to move on to the next question? Ray? Yes, sure. Uh, the second one that I have here is uh, why do we explore more on the teachings like prophecy and healing, etc.? Okay, uh, I think we did explore things about prophecy and healing last week and we did talk about what prophecy is. We went to the root word and then we understood what prophecy is and how it operates today in the church and how we can serve if you have that gift in the church. See, in the Bible, the word prophecy, this is the usual understanding that we have, okay? Uh, The understanding that we have is prophecy is always foretelling, F-O-R-E-T-E-L-L-I-N-G, which means that we say things in advance uh, of their happenings, you know. Uh, We say we are able to predict uh, an event that happens in the future. So no, that's not all of prophecy. prophecy just means speaking in public the word of god um, or forth telling and telling is part of the forth telling as well okay so when the prophets in the old testament and even in the new testament when they spoke they were basically speaking the word of god to people part of which included predicting future as well for example this morning we looked at isaiah you know isaiah it was in the eighth century before christ but he was talking about christ who would come eight centuries later uh, seven uh, hundred years later, and he would he would die the kind of death exactly that Isaiah described. That's that's foretelling, and part of it is part of the foretelling of what Isaiah did as well. Now, uh, the moment we say that, uh, when you come to the New Testament, especially in the first century times, uh, they didn't have the Word of God written down. They didn't have the canon. In fact, it was not closed. We know what a canon is, right? Canon is the authoritative list of books that we have right now in our hands they are 66 not one more not one less uh, so that's the Canon uh, the Canon is closed right in the first century with the dying of the last Apostle who was John the Apostle who leaned on the bosom of Jesus now before that the Canon was open people were still writing books uh, of the New Testament and so at that time the the Apostles the prophets they are received direct revelation from God and they spoke the Word of God to people okay now. Uh, Paul says this in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, uh, I'm so glad that when I came to you and spoke to you, you did not take it as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Okay, so Paul was speaking the inherent word of God to the Thessalonians and he also wrote two letters to the Thessalonians, which is the inherent word of God to them. Okay, so uh, the prophets and the apostles, they received revelation and they gave the word of God to them. But the apostles and the prophets also did something else. It's not merely revelation that they received, which they gave to people. They also went to the Old Testament scriptures and they explained that to people. For example, Paul, in every city that he would go to, he would go to a synagogue first, and then he would go to the Old Testament scriptures and he would prove that Jesus is the Christ, right? What is he doing? He is prophesying there, but he is reiterating what has been already given by God that is not a new revelation. So prophecy includes two things, revelation, new revelation from God, and reiteration of what God has already revealed, two things. But the new revelation from God has stopped with the closing of the canon, right? That's the first century. Now what we do when we say we prophesy is that we reiterate what God has given already. Uh, which is what I did in the morning, which is what uh, brothers do every Sunday uh, or in other meetings, right? So we prophesy, which means we preach the word of God to people, especially in light of the coming judgment, especially in light of being saved through the gospel because of the coming judgment and things like that. Uh, So that is what uh, prophecy is in today's context, the gift of prophecy. Yeah,
1: and and Ravind, I think, uh, I mean, I I was just trying to understand the question a little bit. Uh, It's a little tough because it says... Um, why don't we explore more on the teachings? I, I I'm gathering that maybe maybe the the questioner was sort of saying, um, you know, um, uh, why don't we emphasize these gifts? I, I think that's the way I sort of no, okay, interpreted. Okay. That. I I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm trying to I'm trying to guess. Okay, um, and and I think it just goes back to the I think the answer to the previous question said it. You know, we we want to focus on gifts that we believe are um, you know that are uh, that are still very active right that god intends to be used in the church and and ultimately it's the purpose of the gifts okay the gifts are to edify the church right and and um, you know to focus on things like you explained prophecy but to focus on things like healing and all that you know um, uh, you know that does not edify the edify in the sense of helping you and me as individuals grow Uh, spiritually and become more like the Lord Jesus Christ okay so so what do you focus there you focus on some of these other gifts right the the gifts of of mercy and the gift of exhortation and the gift of uh, um, of uh, of teaching right and and then all the other gifts that that are involved in ministering to each other in a way that brings about growth so that's why you know we are focused on those things not on these other things which which um, you know i mean you could have a, you know people can have different opinions but they end up being uh, just sort of diversions you know from focusing on on the growth of our fellow believers right so so that's the reason why we take that approach uh,
0: a couple of points i want to make uh, thank you george chan for that uh, is that um, the gift of healing was never given to keep the Christian community in perfect health. Mm-hmm. We need to understand that. The gift of healing was never given to keep mm-hmm. the Christian community in perfect health. Even in the first century, there were people who fell sick and who died. Well, there was Paul who had a thorn in the flesh. Exactly. Right? He Paul asked was... God, he asked God how many times? Three times? Uh, to take it away. And he said, no, I'm not taking it away. My grace is sufficient for you, right? Yep. So, so yeah. Right. And Paul himself, like I just mentioned, you know, uh, he tells Timothy, drink a little wine because you have a tummy trouble. And then he said, he says, I left Trophimus uh, at my latest sick. Okay. So uh, he could have healed them, but that is not the purpose of the gift. The purpose of the gift of healing was not to keep the Christian community in perfect health. If that were the case, then I wouldn't have my problems. George and wouldn't have his problems in health. Nobody would have problems. We would not get even a headache. Right. It had a different purpose, which is to attest the message that was given in the first century. That's the first thing. Second thing, we also need to distinguish between what the Bible calls as the gift of healing and intercession for prayer. And and I mentioned that last week as well. I want to emphasize this. Intercession for prayer is not the gift of healing. We are all called to intercede for others. Uh, We are all called to bear each other's burdens. Galatians 6, Paul says that very emphatically. So. So that's why we have the daily prayer we, we call uh, our brothers and sisters up and then uh, we pray and intercede for the nation, intercede for other believers who are suffering, who are struggling, who have lost their loved ones and things like that. Now the gift of healing is a miraculous instantaneous healing at the command of the person who has the gift. Uh, and usually it's irreversible and that's what you see throughout the New Testament. For example, Paul's handkerchief was taken and laid on people and they would be healed. Peter's shadow fell on people and they would be healed. That is a gift of healing, miraculous, but there was a reason for that. But intercession for healing is uh, I do that all the time, you do that all the time. When I'm sick, you pray for me and the Lord in his mercy in his own time might choose to heal me. And we still praise God for that because every healing comes from the Lord ultimately, right? Uh, So, Today, God can heal through various means and ultimately healing comes from Him. He's a source of all healing. He's a Jehovah Rapha. So healing might come through surgeries. Healing might come through medicines, physiotherapy and things like that, and in his own purposes through a miracle as well. But that is not the gift of healing.
1: Do you want to go to the next one or is anybody you want to add to that?
0: We well, are yeah, one thing about this, uh, uh, the purpose
4: of the prophet, see the prophet Um, the New Testament is almost like a fourth teller and I think that's very important so you will see this kind of preaching coming where when somebody with that kind of a bent, right, when they speak you get sin convictions and that's the fourth teller Uh, and there is a temperament that needs to happen in this process but uh, it is, this, this foretelling is where we all have a wrong idea and I think whenever we want to look at some of these, you look at the root who were the prophets in the Old Testament? These guys were actually telling truth and revealing sin to the point that all of these guys had to stone these guys. So it's very uncomfortable. It's not Future telling was so incidental. It's like God's communication to say, if you don't repent of your sin, hey, this is going to be the consequence. That's why we see the exiles and all of that happening. So I think we've got to remember, if you don't understand the purpose of it, we might just really get confused. So it's always foretelling. So whenever you think about prophecy the for, for us in the New Testament comes to forth telling and not future telling yeah just wanted to add
0: that yep good point I wanted to affirm what George said earlier about uh, the gift of I'm sorry the uh, the gift of salvation being the greatest miracle in this age uh, and I take this illustration I, I got this from uh, John Stott in one of his books he says this he says take 10 people ten people five people who've got the greatest... Uh, and and the worst diseases you know perhaps cancers and AIDS and 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 some of them perhaps are going to die because of that and then he says on the other hand you take five people who have the greatest sins adulterers murderers uh, all those people now he says this he says if these five people sincerely pray for healing how many of them would be healed we don't know maybe all five of them but the Lord in his purposes can have all five of them die as well with their diseases. On the other hand, John Stott reminds us and says, but if these five worst sinners pray for salvation, how many of them will get salvation? All five of them for sure. Nobody will doubt that. The point is in this age, uh, like George Chen mentioned, the greatest miracle is the miracle of new birth. And the Lord is willing to give to anybody who repents of his sin and trusts in Jesus Christ. In light of what you said about prophecy, does it overlap with teaching? Uh, Yes, there is certainly an overlap, uh, but there is a distinction as well that the New Testament makes. Teaching is more of going into studying and laboring at your table, uh, researching, analyzing, and being patient with people in helping them understand that as well. So you repeat stuff and you ask them, do you you understand it? And you go back and repeat stuff and things like that. That, That's more of teaching. and the the preacher is more of a forth teller. He's a proclaimer of God's word. Uh, he that's that's what prophecy is. Uh, usually, a prophecy has edification, exhortation, and comfort to the church. It, they bring and a conviction of sin and things like that. Yeah,
1: I, I think I, I think in general uh, it is true that several of these gifts will overlap. Right, there's not clear lines. So so prophecy, teaching, exhortation, right? All of them require knowledge of the word of God, they require study of the word of God, it's the differences in terms of how it plays out, right, when you when you exercise it. So I I would just say that uh, we shouldn't get too caught up in in trying to make fine distinctions. Okay. So so in other words, it's not that important to to know if I'm if I'm say, one on one having a conversation with, you know, I don't need to with somebody here, I don't need to sit here and say, Okay, am I, am I being a prophet or am I prophesying? Am I teaching? Am I exhorting? It doesn't matter. Okay. I'm, I'm imparting the word of God. Uh, and you know, whether it's this or that or the other, it doesn't really matter that much. Right. What matters is, you know, am I building up, uh, the other brother or sister? Right. So, uh, so I don't think we should get too caught up in these. Sometimes we get too, I mean, we're all, we're all, uh, you know, intellectual beings and, uh, And we tend to want to get to these academic, uh, very fine distinctions and want to define everything so cleanly. I I would discourage that uh, line of thinking and, uh, you know, just accept that there are overlaps. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, nobody's going to sit there and say, well, did you use the gift of prophecy there? Did you use exhortation or did you use teaching or was it? Was it mercy? Was it, you know, whatever, right? In fact, when you minister to somebody, you might be using all of these things. I mean, when I'm dealing with somebody, um, I mean, as as elders, we've had to deal with people, say, who fell into some sin. Okay, and I can tell you in the space of a one or two or three hour conversation, we would have exercised uh, teaching. We would have exercised exhortation. We would have exercised mercy. Uh, because, you know, it requires a lot of mercy, okay, to show empathy, to to understand where that person is coming from, um, you know, and maybe a few other gifts as well, right? Uh, hospitality, I mean, we invited them to our home and, uh, you know, showed them hospitality, even as we were trying to, um, you know, trying to um, give them tough, tough words from the word of God, um, you know, which is teaching, which is exhortation. So all of these things sort of come together. So, so we need to really avoid the Temptation of trying to get too caught up in making these distinctions. <laughs> this is somebody's asking. Uh, uh, is singing Hindi songs, recording it, and sharing a spiritual gift? Uh, that's that's interesting. There's a combination there, but but uh, I, I guess there can be a gift in there. I mean, uh, at least I, I don't know, I'll answer it, and then uh, uh, you know others can can jump in. Um, you know, it, it's that it's it's why you're sharing, okay? So, so you know, perhaps there there is that gift of evangelism, right? Where you have this this desire within you to to share and a willingness to to share the gospel with somebody, whether it's through a Hindi song or through a message or through a tract or whatever. The the medium doesn't matter. So the Hindi song itself and the recording is a medium, right? Perhaps the gift. I'm just. Uh, just trying to use this to show how, you know, you've, uh, there, there's talents, there's mediums, there's
0: gifts, right? The gift would be your willingness to to go out and, and, and share it with somebody, right? Uh, I, I just wanted to, yeah, I completely agree with George. And uh, we don't have anything called gift of singing in, in the Bible, for sure. But there is a talent. Uh, some people have this inborn talent of uh, singing right from birth. Uh, you know, from when they are able to sing, they can sing very well and others pick up on the way as well you know they they train their vocal cords they train their voices and they pick up singing as well so either way it is a talent uh, whether it's uh, given by with birth or it is acquired later on in life but uh, the talent can be used uh, along with your gifts or your gift can or your talent can be a medium through which the gifts are used for example if you have the gift of showing mercy uh, and the gift of faith uh, you can sing for people Uh, to show them mercy. Uh, You can sing for people to come to the faith in Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of evangelism and things like that. So uh, the gifts can be used in conjunction with a talent uh, to the glory of God, certainly.
4: Yeah, I uh, just wanted to pick up two things there. One thing is what uh, I think George said, we do not emphasize one gift over the other. All these gifts are coming in unison to minister to Um, the people of God so that's that's number one right and um, it's very important that God will use our talents and our gifts together for the proclamation of the gospel to um, to really uh, feed uh, us in, in terms of where we are in our lives in the spiritual journey and so this is important to differentiate there's a difference between talent and a gift a talent is what is given to you when you are born a gift is what is given to you when you are born again Okay, there are two distinct uh, differences there. God will use it. So I think I love uh, that question. The question is amazing because you might have a talent of singing, but you have now shared that because you probably might have a gift of evangelism where you want to proclaim Jesus. So God uses all of this in unison, not in isolation. And whenever we emphasize one gift over the other, we are also proclaiming weaknesses. Every gift. Has a weakness also. And that's something maybe, maybe in our uh, discussions next week, we can probably talk about that. Uh, but it's important that nothing is emphasized over the other. Yeah, just an
0: So, in line with what Liju said, I have a question, so I'll answer that here. Says, hey Raven, how should we interpret or what do we do about the command in 1 Corinthians 12 31 to earnestly desire the higher gifts? Okay. Okay yes paul says earnestly desire the higher gifts okay but what does he say right in the next sentence he says i have a more excellent way i will show you a more excellent way now 1 corinthians 12 1 all the way to 1 corinthians 14 the last verse it's all one single context paul is giving one single argument i'll talk about that he in 1 corinthians 12 he talked about the gifts of the spirit and he mentioned so many of them Um, And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about, in one sense, the supremacy of the uh, gift of prophecy over the gift of tongues, especially when they are not interpreted in the church. What the Corinthians were doing there, we can't be absolutely sure about this, but what the Corinthians were doing there is that they were misusing and even abusing the gift of tongues and elevating it and running after those flashy gifts like tongues that that you know you, you could speak but Paul is coming and saying that number one tongues are a sign for unbelievers not for believers number two uh, prophecy brings prophecy on the other hand is for believers and it brings edification exhortation and comfort to men he also says uh, You know, I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but uh, I would rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? Because the moment I come and speak in a foreign language, I become a foreigner to you. You won't understand what I'm talking about unless you know the language yourself. Right? So for all these reasons, for the very reason that the gift of prophecy can edify the church and build up the body of Christ, while tongues, especially when they are uninterpreted, they don't build up the body of Christ. Paul is calling in that sense prophecy as a greater gift. Okay. Now, the argument started in 1 Corinthians 12 and it continues in 1 Corinthians 14, but then he sandwiches uh, between them a chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13. Benji mentioned that. And then he goes on to say um, even if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I become like a gong and a clanging symbol. Right? So When you actually look at it, the greatest gift is love, which is what will build up the church. And that's why Paul in the last sentence, uh, last verse of 1 Corinthians 13, he goes on to say, Now these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is not even hope, not even faith, but love. Uh, So in that sense, in the context, the greatest thing is love. But the greater gift in that entire context of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is that in the context of the church in Corinth there, Prophecy, prophecy, the gift of prophecy was being downplayed and the gift of speaking different kinds of tongues without interpretation was being elevated. Paul is saying desire the gifts that are greater which which is prophecy which will build the body of Christ. That is the context in which it is being said. It does not mean that one gift in essence is greater than another gift. Why
1: is evangelism considered a spiritual gift or is it if it is our responsibility to share and make disciples. Are we not often sidelining our r- responsibilities, giving the excuses? Maybe we don't have the gift of evangelism or share the gospel. So that's a very good question. I think Raven, uh, if I remember right, you did uh, you did uh, touch on this. So maybe you can just repeat and emphasize a little bit right. on the gift versus the responsibility. And Pin is absolutely right. It is all of our responsibility, right, to to share the gospel. But uh, but what is the gift, and how does that? differ from the common responsibility that all of us have.
0: Right. Uh, great question, great question. I think uh, this is, uh, you've thought through it well and you've asked this question and I see a concern there as well in the question. So really appreciate the question. So uh, so Kev, uh, the thing here is most of the gifts are responsibilities given to the body of Christ. Each one is asked to do it. For example, all of us are called to teach whether you have the gift of teaching or not. I'll tell you what in the context of the family the husband is called to teach whether he has a gift of teaching or not he is supposed to teach his wife his kids and disciple them older women are supposed to teach younger women you know there you don't need to specially have the gift of teaching right some of us take up Sunday schools not all of us have the gift of teaching so all christians that we are called to teach all christians that we are called to show mercy all christians that we are called to have faith all christians that we are called to give all christians that we are called to shepherd in some measure or the other Okay, Uh, And in that sense, in the same way, all Christians are called to evangelize. It is our responsibility, and you're absolutely right. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Jesus gave us that commission that we call as a great commission. But there are some people who are specially enabled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, to be able to do better than what an average christian can do and that can be honed that can be bettered as well because it is specially energized by the spirit and again i want to say that uh these are not things that we choose i don't pick and choose what gifts i need to get but it is the spirit who gives us in his sovereignty and we serve the body of christ based on our gifts so there is no boasting there yeah i think
1: uh, i think raven last week you mentioned that you know some people have this this um... I'll call it a knack or I guess it is a gift to, you know, as soon as they see somebody within right. within two minutes, they're able to strike up a conversation and share the gospel. I mean, I've known several people like that. And uh, and sometimes they can lead us on those efforts and take us along with them, and 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 then we can fulfill our duty as well. But but you know, they have that sort of a special ability that God has to steer a conversation a certain way, not everybody can do that, right? So that's the distinction uh, that uh, I hope, hope that answers your question. Um, so I've got another one uh, says uh, in um, AG circles, uh, I guess we'll leave that out. We don't want to, we don't want to focus on any particular denomination or anything, but these are other circles as well. They use the verse to justify personal tongues not actual language yes so there is there is in the modern day charismatic movement uh, this idea that that is propagated that the the tongues that they practice today the so called tongues are not the gift of languages that we find in acts okay uh, in the early chapters of acts but rather it's something that's a personal uh, language that others cannot understand, that only God understands, right? The thing that I refer to as, as gibberish, maybe I uh, apologize if anybody's offended by that term, but it's basically gibberish means it's not, it's not intelligible. Okay. It's not something that the average person, it's not words that we know in, in any particular language, right? Uh, how do we counter that? And and the questioner says they use first Corinthians 13 one and the language of angels. So I think uh, uh, Benji, uh, uh, Benji had uh, read this out. So, so just to go back to that uh, verse, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass. Okay. Um, and then the question says, uh, another one they use is God intercedes for us when we don't have words. They use this also to justify the tongues. I can't find the verse for the latter part of the justification is basically spirit groaning something on those lines. <laughs> Got it. Romans 8. It's, it's Romans 8. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 8. Exactly. I'll just read that out. It says, likewise, the spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Okay. Um, and uh, so so I think uh, I'll, I'll try to take a crack at answering that. Uh, see, this, to me, both these passages are perfect examples of of why we need to look at context, okay? We need to look at context, we need to look at writing style, we need to look at, um, you know, to, to interpret scripture correctly, okay? Now, what is Paul speaking here, you know, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, okay? Is Paul saying that he speaks with the tongues of men and of angels, you know? put it in context. Okay. He's saying he's, he ends uh, chapter 12 with yet. I show you a more excellent way. He's about to show them a more excellent way of love. Okay. And I think this statement very clearly in the context is, is a rhetorical question. It's like, it's like, um, let's say, let's say somebody comes uh, a kid, you know, kid, the mother asks the kid, uh, uh, you know, why did you, why did you hit your brother? Okay. And, uh, and he says, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, well, Johnny told me to do it. And and the mother says, you know, I don't care if Johnny told you to I don't even care if God came and told you to, to, to hit your brother, okay? Now, does that mean that God comes and does that? No, it's, it's a rhetorical statement. And Paul is trying to say, you know what? It doesn't matter, you know, if I talk like a man, if I talk even with the voice of God or the voice of, of an angel or the, the tongue of an angel, okay? If I do anything, okay, it's not just about talking. If I do anything, especially in exercising of gifts in the context, okay, exercising any of these gifts and I do it without love, then I am useless, right? I have become a sounding brass or a clang cymbal. So I, I don't think, if you look at the context of this passage, what is what is Paul trying to do? Is he trying to, is he trying to propagate a teaching that says that, uh, you know that i paul speak in the tongue of an angel and therefore you should speak in the it's 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 almost incidental to his main point what's the main point the main point is love the main point is when you exercise your gifts you need to do it in love right there's nothing else in that passage about the tongues of angels or anything like that okay so so take a look at the context and then same thing with the other passage okay so uh, this is this one is even more clear okay it says likewise the spirit Who is the spirit? The Holy Spirit, capital S, okay? Also helps in our weakness. And he's talking here about suffering, okay? So if you go back to from verse 18 onwards, he's talking about the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. And then he comes down to verse 25. And he says, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So he's saying that when you're in the midst of suffering, think about the hope, okay? The future hope that you have. And yeah, this is a hope we don't see. And so it's difficult. Okay, it's difficult for us to believe in something we don't see and have that motivate us. For what? For perseverance. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. He's urging them to persevere. And then he's talking about prayers. He says, likewise, he says that, you know, when you pray to God, right? Um, You know, if you go back to 23, but we also... Uh, who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. Okay, that's where the groaning comes from. He says that, you know, if there are times when you don't even, in the midst of suffering, okay, you don't know exactly what to pray for, all right? What is the will of God in this matter? What should I pray for? He says, don't worry. Okay, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the, the companion that Jesus sent to the earth, that he promised and sent, Uh, Okay, he says, what does that spirit do? We do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, okay? Uh, Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He's saying that no matter when you pray, the Holy Spirit is there as a intercessor between you and God, and he's taking in some mysterious manner, he's taking what we say and he's translating it into something that is according to the will of God. Now, what is, who is he talking about here? Okay, this whole, that whole that whole verse, okay, in 8, 26 and 27, is speaking about the Holy Spirit. It's not speaking about us. In, in fact, it's saying that, you know, it's sort of saying that when you speak with intelligible words, the Holy Spirit is taking that and translating it into something that, um, that groanings that, that, uh, that cannot be uttered. I mean, we don't, we don't understand it, it's, it's a mysterious thing. So to take that and say, therefore, we are the ones who can groan or or utter these unintelligible things or, or words that cannot be uttered uh, is just a complete uh, you know, misreading of that scripture and a misinterpretation, okay? Um, I don't know, anybody else wants to add to that? So always take scripture in context, okay? Look at context. It's very easy to take a snippet and, and, and build a whole theology around it, okay? Uh, that's not the right way of uh, of interpreting scripture.
4: Liju? yeah, just to uh, pick on that verse uh, in in um, in First Corinthians on, uh, if I have the tongue of men and tongue of angels, uh, this this word that is generally used is called it's it's called a hyperbole. Uh, a, a, a hyperbole is nothing but an exaggerated statement, but not to be taken literally. What's it's a figure of speech. So when you use these words, hey, in my cupboard i have uh, food that can that can feed an entire army hmm. don't take it literally it just means that there is enough food there and it can feed you know sufficient number of people when jesus said if your right hand often be cut it off he doesn't mean cut it off literally it's a it's a it's an exaggeration it's a, it's, a, it's called a hyperbole so that's the word that is used there and if we take this out of context yep. we can misrepresent this yep. and that can lead to a totally different thing
1: yeah it is it is uh, it, it is something that's said to make a point okay the point in your example of jesus is is about sin right and um, and not sinning right and and so he makes a very extreme point and that's what paul is saying you know it doesn't matter you're exactly right it, it is hyperbole um, you know it it it's, it doesn't matter if i speak with the tongue of a man or the tongue of an angel or the tongue of god or the tongue of an animal whatever it doesn't matter right all of that is irrelevant what matters is do i have love or not
0: right okay right and and if somebody just just a couple of comments, Yachan. If somebody still believes that there is something called the tongues of angels, uh, even after we've explained hyperbole, uh, I want to remind all of us that whenever an angel spoke, it was intelligible and understood by men, and he always spoke in the language of the person who was who he was speaking to, in a language that he he could understand it. Right, whether it be Gabriel or anyone. Um, so th- that's one thing. Uh, the second thing was. Uh, that the Bible uses the word consistently about tongues. Uh, Acts chapter two and one Corinthians twelve and fourteen. The word, the Greek word used there, is the word "glossa," which needs to be translated as tongues or languages. It is not gibberish. Okay, so even the Bible there is not affirming gibberish. The only place where you could translate that as gibberish, although uh, good translations don't do it that way, is um, Jesus said, uh, "You know these men want." Uh, want praises from men and so they stand at street corners and they start repeating words okay uh so that's where jesus is using that word very loosely so uh because of your many words you will be heard is what jesus said uh so it's repeating the same thing like again and again actually the greek word i think is the is the word better so it's jesus saying people go on saying better 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 so that kind of a thing okay so uh so that's, that's the only context, I think, in the New Testament, if I could remember, uh, where uh, the word um, loosely is used that could point to gibberish. But everywhere else, it's about tongues, it's a language intelligible that could be understood.
1: Hey, Rehvent, uh, there's a follow-on question. Uh, maybe I'll I'll have you I'll ask you to answer it, okay? Um, that was just sent to me. Uh, it says, probably this verse is also confusing in the same context. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. So I'll just read that, Um, uh, 1 Corinthians fourteen two. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him, however in the spirit he speaks mysteries.
0: Yeah, uh, that is a tough verse to interpret, uh, especially in the context. Um, You know, I haven't discussed the position of the church with the other elders on this, but there are interpretations. By very sound evangelical scholars, that Paul could be could be talking about a private prayer language. Number one, or he could be sarcastic there. Uh, you know, uh, I just want to leave it at that. But if you want to personally talk about it, I can explain things sitting together.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think uh, uh, you know the the other thing. I, I to me the the point there is that is that when you speak, I mean, the way I I take it is you know, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak it to men, but to God, is that, you know, if uh, for no one understands him, okay, the point is that if you are saying things, I think, again, we got to go back to the context. Paul was trying to correct something that was wrong in the, in the, uh, uh, in the, what church is this? The Corinthian church, sorry. <laughs> the, the Corinthian church. And, and he's, he's referring to something, whatever it is. Okay. Uh, again, I, I don't think, again, you know, we always tend to, um, you know, tend to gravitate toward these sort of, uh, you know, tough uh, interpretive kind of things to try to make some bigger point. I, I don't think that's the idea. I, to me, what he's saying there is that if you say, whether it's, it's whatever it is, okay, uh, if you're speaking another language or whatever, and you're saying things and doing things in the church that nobody else understands, um you know you're not really doing anything for them right you're not you're not saying anything that they understands maybe god understands what you're saying because god knows everything right he knows what's in your mind that's causing you to come out with these words um so to me that's that's really what i focus on uh, because what does he say next he says he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation comfort to men like you referred to that a few times so the point there is not again you know i think people tend to gravitate to these little snippets of verses to make some big theology out of it the theological point or the practical point he's making there is 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 stay away from these things that that nobody understands so to me it doesn't matter what it is and whether what theologians want to say and split hairs theologians unfortunately you know my view on theologians they they tend to spend uh, their brains on nitpicking and you know there are a lot of good ones <laughs> nothing wrong with that but sometimes they go too far in their research and nitpicking things and miss the i mean you just miss the whole point what's the point the point is he who prophesies speaks edification exhortation and comfort to men he's paul is saying go focus on those things you know why do you want to say things that nobody around you understands why do i want to Speak whether it's gibberish or private prayer language or 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 Greek or whatever other tongue that nobody else around me understands. He's saying, "Quit doing that, guys. Okay, focus on 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 something that edifies, that exhorts, that comforts people. That's of, that's of use. That's what the whole point of the gift is. So, to me, to focus on that verse um, too is to really you know get really off track. Okay, in terms of what's the what's the message that Paul is trying to convey there. Okay.
0: Uh, Don't I, be I a wanna... nitpicking theologian. You're saying to me, George? <laughs> no, 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 no. i just saying in general,
2: okay?
0: <laughs> okay, And I'm just... All right, so I, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to give uh, a two-minute brief on uh, our interpretation of epistles in general, okay? Now, here is what we need to understand about epistles. Paul, or no epistle writer, especially Paul, did not have free time one per time, take up a pen and paper and start writing what he wanted to write. That's not how epistles were written. There was a problem in every church, either a doctrinal thing that needed to be corrected or a practical problem or some question they had. So there was an occasion that necessitated the writing of these epistles. Okay, So there was a problem and the answer was given in the form of an epistle by Paul. We don't know what the problem is, we only have the answer with us. But based on the answer we can perhaps reconstruct what the problem might have been, but we don't know exactly what it is. That's the problem that we have with most of the epistles, or so in fact, all of the epistles. We don't know exactly what was happening in Corinth, whether they abused the Lord's Supper, uh, what was happening there, uh, you know, whether when um, the guy who was put out of church, who had a wrong relationship with his stepmother, whether he was brought in or not, we don't know. We don't know exactly what happened all, about all these things. Same thing with 1 Corinthians 14 as well. Uh, we don't know what exactly happened in the church at Corinth. But we do have the answer that Paul wrote to the problem Paul knew what the problem was, but we can perhaps, you know, uh, based on the answer, reconstruct what the problem is. So, in that sense, we wouldn't know exactly what the interpretation is, perhaps, of one Corinthians fourteen two, on this side of glory. When we get there, I'm I'm sure to go and ask Paul. I'm sure all of you would want to ask Paul. Paul, what did you? Not really.
1: I don't. I don't plan to ask (laughs) (laughs) because it's 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 not a very relevant point. Right. You know, I, I would rather focus on verse three than verse two. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, you know, Paul, says, Paul says in Second Thessalonians 2, you know, when he was talking about the eschatology and all of that, he says, don't you remember I told you all these things when I was with you? <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah so yeah, okay. we don't have all the details
1: yeah hey raven um, i i don't know if you have any questions uh, or anybody but i i'm i'm just going to go back to the ones that were submitted right so here's one that says how is it possible that so many spiritual people believe in gifts that have ceased
4: okay i guess you,
1: you i to... i yeah i mean you can answer that i i guess i could also turn the question around that how is it possible that that so many spiritual people do not believe in these gifts so so uh, you know the general point is just because a lot of people uh, believe in something it doesn't necessarily mean that that you know it's right the right or wrong of it right i mean you have to go back to scripture to, to divine that so anyway you have uh, maybe you can answer that quickly
0: no i just want to say a general statement that uh you know uh, majority works well in democracy <laughs> not in determining the truth because often um, a minority will hold to the truth um, for example in the first century you know on the day of pentecost only 120 people received the Spirit and only they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were heavily outnumbered by the other people groups. uh, But the 120 held to the truth, right? So uh, the number may not always be the determinant to know uh, what the truth is. Um, So and I guess I guess well-meaning people
1: can be misguided. Okay, it's not to say that they're not saved or they don't have uh, Christ in them. I I mean, I, I like this example. Um, you know, when you look at the, uh, the the children of Israel, right, and and um, you know, Moses sent twelve of them into the promised land. And by the way, these are not just like he just went and picked twelve random people, right? Uh, you know, he actually uh, it says that uh, that they were um, um, you know they were heads of the children of Israel. Okay, these are like the leaders. If you want to think of them as you know, they are the elders of their day. You know, uh, he, he Moses had appointed elders for each tribe okay elder like people and all of them went there and uh, 10 of them just got it completely wrong i mean they came back with a report that was completely misaligned with with uh, the message that god wanted them to come back with and only two did so so again you know don't use numbers as the way to uh, you know to judge whether something is right or not i think maybe uh, the another question we had uh, <clears throat> says i totally get the whole aspect of brethren teaching that says that it ceased but a part of me feels like there is more to explore in it as well. Uh, is it an issue if we have different viewpoints on this? I, I assume this means tongues, miracle gifts, whatever, right? All the, the, the kind of things we've been talking about.
2: I mean, again, uh, I mean, Raven was speaking about understanding the context from what he is uh, mentioned in the word of God. So from that, I think one thing is quite clear that in the Corinthian church, one of the problems was these people seem to have been showing off their gifts, Mm. right? Uh, So that seems to have been a problem in the church. So people who had the gift of tongues, uh, people who had the gift of tongues were kind of using it in a way that was not uh, being being of use to others in the church, right? Because there was no need for them to use that gift of a foreign language within their church, where they are speaking a particular language. So hence, obviously they are i mean paul is saying that you know uh, uh, that does not speak to men but to god because he's communicating with god he's praying and say i'm sitting here today and, sp- uh, and and praying in greek none of you understand i'm actually praying to god and it is and and you know in my spirit i'm uttering mysteries so so that was so that was one point um, so and then you know some of my friends have asked me the same uh, thing in verse 14 as well for if i pray in the tongue my spirit prays and my mind is unfruitful Mm. again it's the same thing right yeah done yeah, again yeah, it is it is I'm communicating yeah, so, something to God yeah but Charlie my, Charlie yeah. just
1: that, that when the guy is speaking in tongues it's something he himself doesn't know. he himself doesn't understand right yeah yeah right. yeah it's presumably yeah. It's, it's it's a language that's that he doesn't know
2: yeah I know even if even if I know even if I have the gift of a language like it was in those days now yeah. we believe it's not there. The problem i think was that people were using that to pray in the church and yeah. they're, they're they're just showing off that they are having that gift but the yeah. fact is you don't need to use it there that is not benefiting yeah the church. No, no, you're right, you're right. yeah 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 so so just wanted to just wanted to make that point because i remember uh i mean sometime back you know some of my friends who had such beliefs used to ask me and point 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 to these verses as well
5: i just yeah, wanted yeah, to sure. make a point on the other question George Chen. Um, <laughs> Um, and just add, uh, which was on, uh, spiritual people holding a different viewpoint. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: And, um, uh, just want to, uh, use a verse from the Bible to validate, uh, what you were mentioning and you and Revant were mentioning, which is that we need to go back to the word as the only source of truth, um, irrespective of who is interpreting what, which are we including us. Right. Yeah. Um, So, Acts chapter 17, uh, when Paul is uh, commending the Berian church,
1: right?
5: He's commending them for evaluating his very message and going back and seeing it against the standard of God's word. And he says, um, uh, and I mean, it, it's not him saying, but uh, uh, Luke is commenting on it and saying, uh, now the Berians were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true, right? Um, and and we would encourage everyone in CBF also to do the same, right? Uh, when anything is preached, even from this pulpit, uh, to actually go back to this. Yep. And evaluate it because that's the only standard of truth.
1: Amen. Okay, so uh, Ravindra, uh, you want to just address the
0: last question? Is it uh, uh, I... is it the last part of the question, Jyotin? Is it issue if we have a different viewpoint? Is that the one? Yeah, I, I guess I guess that's the that's the point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's uh, there's nothing wrong in having a different viewpoint, but I think the church does have an official position on on various things and. Uh, if we differ from our viewpoint from what is the official position of the church i don't think uh, we should spread such a teaching in the church yep. or uh, or uh, you know teach in our cell groups that teaching or use the pulpit to uh, you know to advance our viewpoints
1: yeah and i, I just want to want to second that uh, you know that basically yes we do recognize that you know there is different viewpoints on this that people it's somewhat controversial and uh, certainly having a, a view or a different view on this does not preclude us from uh, preclude anybody from being part of the church it does not preclude us from having fellowship with you um, you know ultimately all that is based on whether uh, you know you are uh, you are in christ or not in christ right that's the that's the key determiner there uh, but but as raven said you know, we do have, as a church, an official position. Okay, and uh, and we would request, and not only request, but we would expect that that no one is going to teach or promote views that contradict the position of the church. Okay, we don't want to create confusion um, in the church by people propagating things that don't align with the position of the church, regardless of what your personal views might be. Sorry, Raymond. I think there was one more question, right, on the the teaching gifts, right? The, you know, how do we as right, as yeah. elders in the church, how do we, uh, you right, know, right, right. Uh, you know, how do we, I'm just trying to find the thing here. Yeah. What are uh, the criteria that the elders yeah deciding
0: who can give sermons on Sundays? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or, or maybe to expand that a little bit is is how do we provide opportunities for people to use their their uh, their gifts right their, their their gift of teaching if they have one. So uh, I don't know who wants
0: to take that. You want to
1: you, know, so you want to address yeah. that? Yeah. Maybe sure.
0: I'll start it off and then um, the others can definitely give you our valuable comments, please. Uh, there are three things that we look at uh, scripturally. Number one is that uh, the scripture is very clear that elders have to have an active role in feeding the flock, right? Uh, elders are called to feed the flock, to to nourish the flock, and even to protect the flock with the right kind of teaching. So, uh, and even um, uh, you know, one of the qualifications is that the elder should be able to the right doctrine and also refute anything that is false as well. So number one, uh, who teaches uh, in the church? It is the elders uh, first because um, because it's a commandment, it's, it's one of the qualifications and uh, we need to do that. It's, it's part of the calling as shepherds where you teach the flock and protect the flock and feed the flock and nourish the flock. Number two, the elders also recognize other men um, who we think are gifted and who are able to teach uh, that's number one, or other men who in whom we think there's a nascent gift that we can develop by giving opportunities. Uh, it may not right away start with the pulpit because that's a that's a larger setting. Uh, it could start with a cell group or or a small college group and things like that, where you start exercising the gift and you hone your gift. Each gift needs to be honed. You know, just because we have a gift, it doesn't mean we are perfect at it. We keep we keep honing it. We keep becoming better and better at it. If you have the gift of teaching, you should be a better teacher now than you were five years ago. Things like that. Because you exercise it and you hone it and make it better and better and better. Of course, to the glory of God. So first thing, elders. Second thing, elders pick men based on their gifts. Uh, 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 the third thing, we also want to give opportunities to new people to see, that, to see if they have the gift. Uh, if somebody is interested in, in teaching and wanting to teach, then we do try them out uh i use the words very carefully try them out what i mean here is we want to see that uh, if they have a gift dormant yep. in them that we can that we can bring out okay so these are the yeah, three- or
1: or i guess really on, on on that point number 3 it is also you know someone may have the the gift it might be a nascent gift but sometimes you need there is there are there are certain things about uh, you know speaking that you know you may have the ability to study and put a message together but just the presentation and things like that require a certain amount of practice and opportunity, right? So we do use it. But I think what you'll find is that in those three groups, um, you know, the elders, the, uh, the people who are gifted who are not, not necessarily elders, maybe they're deacons, maybe they're not. And then the third group, which is people with the nascent gifting that, that we want to give them opportunities to develop. Uh, you'll find that the proportion of the teaching on Sunday morning uh, will be more with the first group, right? Majority with the first group, uh, you know, and first and second groups, I would say, and then less so with the third. So, so that's sort of how we do it, right? And I think there's one more question, Ravanth. I just realized. Uh, um, yeah. What if I do not have a particular gift, for example, to teach or lead, but I am being asked or pushed to teach or lead, and there is a certain expectation? How do I say no without offending? And by saying no does it show my lack of spiritual maturity
0: i might know who would have written this <laughs> just, <laughs> all right okay uh oh. you, you might know who. <laughs> <laughs> okay then I, I just wanted to say uh, see first of all like we mentioned all of us are called to teach in some setting or the other especially in families and all of that right um so if, if somebody is asking you to teach there might be a reason for that so i think I would ask the person the question uh, if i were the person i would ask myself the question what is stopping me from exploring that is it fear is it fear of crowds is it fear of standing up there is it fear of saying something wrong or any fear that is crippling me to do that or do i not have the gift now you would 90 out of 100 times know if you have the gift but by actually exercising it or by actually going and you know doing it uh so Given the opportunity, why didn't you want to teach? Yeah. I,
1: I think I would just add to that, that when the elders, you know, we, I I know that at least, uh, you know, I know the uh, the discussions we have before we ask somebody to teach. And it's, uh, I mean, I'm not aware of any situation where we felt, we went and asked somebody who we felt absolutely had no gift. I mean, um, if if the elders, because keep in mind that God gives the elders discernment to recognize gifts also. Okay, Um, you know, and and some of that we do by exploring, giving people, as Raven said, you know, opportunities in in smaller groups and things like that. Uh, We look at uh, the impact that people have when they do that on others. Right. What's what's the feedback from others saying, you know, I'm blessed by this brothers or sisters teaching. Right. Um, And uh, so I, I would say that, you know, as as an individual, if an elder comes to you and says, brother, I think you've got a gift and you need to use it for the edification of the church. Uh, you should take that seriously. Okay. It's not just anybody coming out on a whim saying, you know what, uh, you should have forcing anybody. I mean, we have been blessed. We are blessed with so many people that we don't have to force uh, ungifted people. Okay. People who have absolutely no gift. There are some churches, they might have to do that because, uh, you know, there's a lack of enough people, right? They, they try, they have to try more people out and, and try to work harder at developing it we, we don't have that issue and, and so when we come and ask you if this brother is somebody that really feels like uh, that the elders are asking him when he doesn't have a gift i would encourage you to come and have a discussion and let's let's talk about why do because i'm more than more than i'm i'm more than certain that uh, uh, you know that this is a case where where we the elders believe the person has a gift and for some reason that person maybe it's because of fear or whatever that you said doesn't think so so there's a little misalignment in terms of our view so let's discuss that misalignment and uh, you know and, and and also it comes down to you know when you exercise the gift okay um, you know god has not given us a spirit of fear okay so uh, you know if we have the gift it's from god we should do it and he will use it right we shouldn't be fearful of all these kinds of things that might go wrong and all this, you know, whatnot. Right. So anyway, that's it. Anybody else want to add to that? I think we're, we're out of time. I think it's also good to check our motive. You
3: know, Uh, we have a gift. Okay. Definitely the members of the church have a gift. We have to develop those gifts, but the motive should also be checked as to how we're going to use that. gift. Mm. You know, Paul in fact says that, you know, that if I have the gift of, Prophecy, knowledge, faith, and all of that, and if I, don't, if I don't have the right motive to minister to the church for the benefit of the church, he says I would be nothing. Yep, yep. Then he goes to the other extreme, says that if I, have, if I gave everything I have to the poor, even sacrifice my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't have love, basically love for the church, I would have gained nothing. So I think it's good that uh, you know that all of our dear ones are gifted. You know, just check the motives. Like sometimes there's a desire to teach. You know, to teach. Sometimes there's a desire to teach very quickly. Sometimes there's a desire to get into various forms of ministry very quickly. But if our motive is wrong, or said, you know, I have not gained anything for the church. I've not gained anything for myself. So I think it's good to just see our heart and see you know what are the motives of the agendas of our heart. We could have a gift develop it but if it is for the church I think it's a great way that the elders would encourage the person to use it and if you look in Paul's life that he suffered you know uh, you know, for the sake of the gospel to go out so I think uh, that if, if we are ready to use our gift to take the gospel out to even suffer for the sake of the Lord I think the Lord will honor that but just look at our motives also and that will yep. give us a good intention also Yeah.
1: okay good